This podcast is sponsored by GCK Consulting, a next-generation political consulting firm. From fundraising to polling to campaign strategy, GCK is helping get millennials elected all across the country. To learn more about GCK and their services, just go to gckconsults.com. Again, that's gckconsults.com. All right, now to the podcast. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Berkeley City Councilmember-elect Rigel Robinson. Thanks for coming on and congrats on winning your election. Thank you so much for having me on. It actually, as of this morning, uh, it's just City Councilmember. Just got back from the swearing in and so excited to be helping on with you. Awesome. So what was that experience like for you? Deeply, deeply surreal. It's a uh... Yeah, Berkeley's a, an interesting city at a, at a really exciting crossroads, but I think people have been waiting for, for this election for a little while. For decades, people have been saying that in this city where a third of the population at any given time is students, even if any individual student is only there for a little while, that student representation really requires attention in City Hall. And that was really the, the primary premise of our campaign. And I'm so glad that our neighbors, students and non-students alike, recognized and resonated with that. So what was the campaign process like for you? It must have been probably a, about a, a year ago, almost to the day that um, me and some friends, largely people associated with the, uh, the Campus Democrats group, Cal Berkeley Democrats at UC Berkeley, decided that this race was important and that someone needed to run. Uh, District 7 encompasses the UC Berkeley campus and then much of the Southside neighborhood where most of our student residence halls are. And so for years, it's been a, a student majority district. But four years ago, actually, students led a movement to redraw the lines of this district with a redistricting measure to create the first student supermajority district in the entire country, with the vision that one day students would elect one of their own to be their voice in City Hall. And after years of organizing, years of efforts to, to bring about that reality, this was a year we said we might might just be able to pull this off. And fortunately, we, we did. So I, I do have a job, and that's, that's comforting. It can be rare for people around our age. <laughs> what issues did you run on, and how do you hope to make your campaign promises a reality now? Uh, I think if you asked almost any candidate running for city council member in any district in the city of Berkeley, uh, their first answers to you would be housing and homelessness. These are the defining issues of our time in the Bay Area especially. But in, in District 7, we, we ran with a particular acknowledgement of a very specific twist on the conversation. Here at UC Berkeley, based on the latest campus housing data that we have, uh, it's estimated that 10% of students, undergraduate or graduate students, will experience homelessness or housing insecurity at some point during their time at UC Berkeley, which is absolutely unacceptable. All over Southside, we're converting living rooms into bedrooms, students are living in their cars, students are couch surfing, and it's because for years the city and the university have neglected student housing construction. The campus is enrolling more students each and every year, which is exciting. I mean, California is a growing state and we want our public universities to grow to meet that demand, but there are consequences to that. And as we grow, we need to make sure that students, when they arrive at Berkeley, you know, they don't know that they're moving into one of the worst housing crises in the entire country. And we need to make sure we have the resources 
to support them and to ensure that they're actually able to be the, the students that they want to be. No student should be housing insecure. No one, period, should be housing insecure, really. Um, but we need to do more to, to bring the campus and the city together to meet the needs, housing and homelessness uh, at every level. And that's going to mean a lot of student housing development. It's also going to mean providing more basic services to the homeless. In Berkeley, a city that, that really, despite its, its name and its reputation, is really not that large. We have an estimated 1,000 homeless individuals or homeless neighbors living on our streets, which is, which is a tough, tough situation to be in. And we need to work on this from, from both ends, you know, working to, to support our most vulnerable with, with basic services. You know, along uh, one of our main commercial corridors right now, I think from around 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. or so, there's no public bathroom available to you if you're living on the streets, which is obviously terrible for, for those people, but, but also for, for merchants and neighbors who, who have to deal with the results of that. 24-hour public bathrooms should be below the baseline. We need to do more to ensure that these people are, are able to live so that eventually we can help them get back into to housing and jobs of their own, which is why I'm really excited about work that the city is doing to build more transitional beds uh, to help get people back on their feet. The city council actually just voted um, to convert Old City Hall into a, a temporary emergency storm shelter for homeless individuals over the next several months because they're moving their council meetings to another building. So we're really you know, trying to use every last bit of city resources we can to, to address this crisis. How has the city council and the mayor addressed this crisis so far? What actions have or have not been taken? This was a really, really exciting election for exactly those reasons. You know, while I, while I think my candidacy and the, the city council races in our district were important. The two most important issues on the ballot here in Berkeley were a pair of measures, uh, ballot measures, measures O and P. And we branded them uh, the More Homes, Less Homelessness Initiative. Measure O was a $135 million bond measure to raise funds for construction of real affordable housing here in Berkeley. And measure P was a transfer tax to raise funds for provision of uh, services for the homeless. We, we were nervous the entire campaign that these issues weren't going to pass. Uh, we, we have a lot of, a lot of taxes in the city of Berkeley and some of our neighbors aren't too happy about all of them. Uh, but fortunately this year, the, the voters of Berkeley were generous and both passed with flying colors, which ensures that our city will have the resources it needs to, to really tackle these issues head on. And I really believe that the, the virtue of a city is measured by how we take care of our most vulnerable. And I'm excited that the Berkeley is leading the way and carving out new ways to address the homelessness crisis from a place of empathy and pragmatism. And do you feel that your fellow city council members are going to be strong allies with you on these issues? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. There's a you know, Berkeley's a, an interesting place where you know it's no secret that pretty much everyone on the city council here is left of center, but that still leaves a lot of room for disagreement. Uh, when it comes to you know, even even that vote to um to designate Old City Hall, a building that would otherwise be vacant and unused for months, uh, to designate that as a shelter for the homeless, that was was not a you know the final vote ended up being unanimous, fortunately, but there was there was some haggling that needed to happen in the uh, the days prior, and so there there will be disagreements on the floor, but I, I hope we can bring together 
bring together the team and, and win a majority on the most important issues and make sure that we're doing everything we can to, to leverage our city's resources to, to help those who, who need them most. Um, I was meeting with a, a faith leader on, on Southside recently who, I don't know if this is a, a passage from, from scripture or, or something, but she was, she said to me that, um, you know, in city policy making, you need to, to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I think in Berkeley, we're, we're really good at trying to do the first of those, um, but have a lot more difficulty recognizing that sometimes we need to do the latter as well. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna have to make some, some tough calls and, you know, push people to, to make some sacrifices. You know, when you are looking at, a, you know, opening up a, a homeless shelter on a block, almost no matter where it is, you know, neighbors and four blocks in every direction will rise up to say, you know, I support resources for the homeless, but I would rather it wasn't within a few blocks from me, which is a tough conversation to have. But if we're serious about addressing these needs, and if we're serious about helping those who need help the most, we, we need to make those sacrifices and we need to push forward. And you've talked before about the label of socialism, what it means to young people. Yeah, it's interesting. And these, these labels are really getting you know, a lot of fascinating traction at the national level in some really exciting ways. Um, you know, as millennials in politics, we're obviously all paying a lot of attention to uh, our dear friend, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who has helped to bring you know, democratic socialism uh, into the mainstream in a lot of ways. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Sanders Sanders was raising a similar conversation during his primary. Uh, and here, here in the East Bay, you know, we see a lot, of, a lot of really exciting energy around this. Um, you know, we have really exciting chapters, organizations that are pushing these ideas, trying to find ways to really apply a lot of the, the value sets of democratic socialism to policymaking. Um, I'm going to have two, two legislative aides in the office, one of whom is an open democratic socialist, um, and you know, a lot of that is, is really gaining ground. I think people are finding that, you know, young people especially, you know, when we look at the, the state of affairs in the world, uh, you know, we don't look at it and think, well, that's the way it's always been. So you know, why bother changing it? Because we're, we're new to the scene. When we see something that's broken, our instinct is to fix it. And if the most obvious solutions uh, require shaking things up a little bit, then yeah, that's what we're inclined to do. And it seems to be working. And how does city government interact with state government? Obviously, in your state, you do have a democratic trifecta. What does that mean for your city? That is one of the most exciting things about crafting policy here in Berkeley. Berkeley you know, legislates for itself and legislates for our community. But time and time again, we have seen how Berkeley really, really is legislating for the Bay Area, for California, and sometimes for the world. Even just in the last few years, um, you know, in my work around student housing issues around the campus community, uh, we saw a bill introduced in the state Senate uh, by our state senator, Nancy Skinner, who incidentally, years ago, was the, um, the first and to date the only currently enrolled student to have served on the Berkeley City Council. Um, and she can hold on to that distinction because I just graduated before taking office. Um, but as a state senator, she introduced a bill this year to promote a a density bonus for student housing development nearby college campuses to ensure that more affordable units accessible to students are being built in new student housing construction, which was modeled after some policy proposals that are being worked on right here in Berkeley city government. And this happens year after year after year. Berkeley was, I believe, the first city in the country to declare, uh, to state that marriage equality 
should be the law of the land. Uh, Berkeley was the first city to ban fur. And you know, we've seen what's happened nationwide with marriage equality. And this year, uh, just last Monday, I think, um, state legislators introduced a bill uh, to ban the sales of fur statewide here in California. So Berkeley really is, a, in many ways, a, an incubator, a laboratory of democracy. And our relationships with our state legislators are really important because often progressive change, progressive ideas are needed in, in every corner of the country. But it's in a place like Berkeley, where we have the political capital and the will to try something first before any other city does, that often is the first domino in creating real change. And what other change do you think that Berkeley can make that will have a ripple effect on a statewide level? Berkeley is taking a really close look uh, at how we can ensure that we're really doing everything we can to meet our climate goals at every level. We talk a lot about zero waste and how we as individuals uh, can adjust our own choices to reduce our own carbon footprints, but we also need to look citywide and top down and talk about you know, in, in new developments, how can we make sure that buildings, offices, housing is as green as possible, uh, really trying to do everything we can to reduce the strain on the grid. And Berkeley has been a, a leader on that in, in many ways, and I hope will continue to be. And perhaps the biggest issue of this election cycle was healthcare. What is the state of healthcare in Berkeley and California right now? California is having a, a bit of a, an existential crisis on this issue that, that I, think, I think really will resolve itself in exciting ways, I hope, as we move forward. Um, we just elected a governor, uh, Gavin Newsom, who openly campaigned on a premise of universal health care. Uh, and just this last year in the state legislature, there was, there was a proposal to move to a, a universal health care system that, that ultimately fizzled out, but the, the momentum is building. You know, it's not often that a, a major piece of legislation gets introduced and you know, your first swing sails through. Um, they had some tough conversations last year. Gonna have more tough conversations this year, but now with you know, what we've called giga majorities in every chamber of the state legislature, and a governor who has said he's committed to, to carrying this through, like California, I think, really could could pave the way here and set precedent for hopefully, hopefully, a national move on this once we take back the Senate and the White House. Obviously, taking back the Senate and the White House is a pretty huge task. For the next two years, we're still going to see the assault on civil rights and liberties that we have been seeing. What can states and cities do against these assaults? Uh, Berkeley has played an especially big role in a lot of these conversations. Um, I think it was actually maybe in the first city to declare itself a, a sanctuary city. Uh, you know, in cities all over the state and country, uh, we need to be exploring strategic ways to divorce cities from the corruption and absolute injustice being carried out by the federal government. Um, on immigration issues especially, it's really important that you know, our local local governments and thereby local law enforcement are doing everything they can to not just not cooperate, but you know, when necessary, inhibit the efforts of ICE. What is the relevance of immigration to Berkeley? How big is the immigrant population and what struggles have they faced? Yeah. We have an enormous, an enormous immigrant population, and a deeply, deeply diverse population. And this has been a, a huge part of the conversation through, through my campaign. It will continue to be a huge part of the conversation coming into office. A lot of city policymaking happens on the city council dais, but a lot of the most important decision making 
actually happens in city commissions. And right now, despite how diverse the city of Berkeley is, bluntly, if you look at a lot of our city commissions, you would have no idea the profound racial and economic diversity of the people here. Our commissions are disproportionately older, disproportionately white, and the result of that is, is shifts in the sort of policies that, that trickle up to the council and get voted on. We need to be doing everything we can to empower more diverse voices to be their own best advocates, to, to speak on their own behalf and make sure that their issues are on the table. And right now that just isn't happening to the extent that it needs to. And so I'm looking forward to, to not only appointing diverse, qualified, excellent city commissioners, but making sure that we leverage the other city council members as often as possible to, to think a little more critically about who they're empowering with these positions and who they're handing the reins of policymaking to. Hey everyone, I'm Nathan. And I'm Dylan. And as you know, Millennial Politics is totally independent and volunteer run. That means every podcast you listen to, every article you read, and every tweet you see is created by a dedicated team of volunteers. It also means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it, but we rely on listeners just like you to support our work. We hope you'll consider supporting us by subscribing at patreon.com slash millenpolitics. Every dollar will go directly towards our mission of shining a spotlight on progressive candidates, causes, and organizations. And if you subscribe at the ambassador level or more, we'll send you a free copy of How Our Government Really Works Despite What They Say. It's an award-winning book about the intricacies of American government. And you'll get to join our exclusive ambassador Slack channel and get to hang out with us all day, every day, I pretty much live there. So if that appeals to you, come join us. And we want to give a very special shout out to our executive producer, Greg Stevens, and our producers, Brad Tracy and Renee Garcia-Brown. Again, if you want to continue hearing interviews and conversations just like this one, we hope you'll visit patreon.com slash millenpolitics. That's patreon.com slash M-I-L-L-E-N politics and join the movement. All right, now back to the show. And what are you hoping to do to stay connected with your community as a city council member as your schedule builds up? You know, the relationships we built over the campaign uh, built on relationships we built you know, with student networks and activist networks in the area for, for four years. And I will continue to be as active a presence in those community meetings and spaces as a council member as I was prior. Uh, I really don't see that as coming into conflict with the council member's schedule. I think that is a basic core function of the council member's schedule. But I recognize that not all local elected officials necessarily see it that way. And lastly, where can folks find you online and how can constituents stay connected? Ah, follow me on Twitter. Um, I'm around. Uh, the nice thing about having a weird name is that the username is always it's always available to you. Um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, at Rigel Robinson, uh, and I'll be keeping folks updated there. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, and we'd love to catch up with you later in the year to see what progress you've made. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's uh, the same conversation we have with a lot of people coming into positions like these. You know, every candidate, you, know, you enter the office full of energy, full of ideas. Uh, but municipal government work, it's, it's tough. Um, and you know, we don't want to be a, a bull in a china shop or anything, but you know, I think you, you need to come in with enough of that energy to push through the bureaucracy to get done what you need to. I'd love to check in again soon.
Perfect. And lastly, to our listeners, if you want to keep up to date with the Millennial Politics Podcast, make sure to subscribe on iTunes, follow us on social media, and tune in to the Progressive Radio Network every week at 8 p.m. Eastern to hear our newest episodes. Thanks for listening.